So I love to say these kind of projects want to have a bit of a beginning, a middle, and an end. In other words, if you sit down one day and come up with what would we love to achieve in two years, then like let's actually remember at the end of two years to say, well, how far did we get? You might not have achieved it all. You might be very ambitious, but celebrate the progress, learn from it, and you can reset at that point. But I think the danger is otherwise you create this endless treadmill where there's ne- never any closure because you're always just pushing yourself, always pushing yourself. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for all stakeholders. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Whether you're an executive, manager, or a team contributor, we're all presented opportunities to inspire and challenge others to stretch themselves to reach meaningful goals. But too often, day-to-day urgencies, that phone call from a client, that item that's just not available because of the supply chain disruptions, that employee who's not available to work today because of childcare issues, those things get in the way of reaching or even defining those important and truly strategic and meaningful goals that move our people and our businesses forward. My guest today that says that changing that environment starts with executive leadership, how they think about the business, about the future, and about their people. But I expect that that strategic mindset is going to be important at all levels of the organization. Richard Medcalf is the founder of X Quadrant and host of the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. He's an executive coach and leadership consultant to exceptional founders, CEOs, and their leadership teams. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Richard. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this conversation. I think it's going to be fun. So let's get started. You work with a lot of leaders. What is your definition of leader? Well, let me give you a definition of leadership, and we'll see where we go from there. Okay. I can give you a definition of leader, but I think leadership, if you think about it, well, what is it? It's um, We can often come up with all sorts of things. It's people who have followers must be leaders or um, uh, people with a certain position. But I, I think that leadership is really uh, – and I, this is a definition from Kevin Cruz, and I thought it was a great one. It's a process of social influence which maximizes the efforts of others – towards the achievement of a goal. And the reason I like this is it's got this influence part in there. In other words, leadership is winning hearts and minds, right? It's influence. It's not just telling people what to do. You can have all sorts of people you're telling them what to do. That's not leadership. Um, uh, they might be forced to do. You know, if you've got a load of slaves, you can tell your slaves what to do. It doesn't, you're not a leader. You're leading them. You're just bossing them around. So social influence. And then the goal is to maximize the efforts of others. In other words, you're trying to say win hearts and minds. Uh, it's about other people and it's about them bringing their, their best, uh, maximizing their efforts. But it's not in a vacuum. It's towards the achievement of a goal. And so when you take those three things, it's this process of influence that's actually winning hearts and minds and maximizing the efforts in order to create a go- to, to achieve a goal then you've got leadership. And so I think a leader is somebody who does that, right? A leader is somebody who's influential, that's strategic around the goals that they're pushing for. And as a result, they know how to maximize 
the efforts uh, of, of others around that. I talk about it as strategy, leadership, and purpose. And I think when you're at the intersection of that, that's where you create impact. And I like that, that maximizing their efforts. Uh, I often use the term uh, moving people to the point where they're voluntarily giving their discretionary effort right. to help the organization, exactly. you know, that not just doing what they're asked, not doing the minimum, just close enough not to get fired, but being so engaged and concerned about the mission and the purpose and seeing the meaningness, meaningfulness of what they do, that they give that extra. Yeah, it's eliciting so it's, it's, it's commitment, right? Yeah. It's drawing oh, out commitment. And I love to say there's a fourfold commitment. You know, you have to be committed uh, to the mission. You know, you have to be committed to the leader. You have to be committed to your team. And then you have to be committed to the task at hand. Uh, and it's quite complex. But if you think about it, it all starts with, as a leader, are you able to build that commitment in your people? So are we born leaders or can you develop that or train that into someone? What is, what's, is, or maybe is a yin and yang, uh, you know, is a mix there? Yeah, I mean, my, my personal view is that humans, we are so capable of growing and evolving. We all have a next level. And so are we born leaders? Well, I haven't seen that many baby leaders. I mean, <laughs> there probably are some babies who are a little bit more assertive or more dominant. Of course there are, right? But I think it's all, it is all skills in so many ways. And we all bring, we all start with a particular hand of cards. Uh, and some of those might be seen as more classic leadership traits uh, of confidence and charisma or whatever. But if you look at books like um, Good to Great, for example, the classic book, it shows that a lot of the people that are on the outside seem to be the amazing leaders, very confident, very assertive, very ambitious, etc., aren't always the leaders that uh, deliver the results, right? Often it's the quieter, more reflective leaders, the more humble people who are just in the background doing what they need to do, that creates the best results. So I'm pretty open about this. And I think, you know, we all have a certain set of tendencies that we're born with. And the game is always to say, well, how do we build on those to take ourselves to the next level? And that's the game. You know, I work with CEOs. One of my clients runs, you know, is a runs a two or $3 billion company. He's got, you know, many thousand employees. He has a next level, right? I'm working with him on his next level. Somebody else who's running, you know, high growth startup, raised $200 million, highly successful entrepreneur. He's got his next level. And then there's people at the start of their career, right? Again, we're all going to, uh, we're all on that journey, I think, of leadership. So my view is uh, leadership's open to us all. It's a question of whether we want it. And if we do, finding out what's the next skill that we need to acquire on the journey. So you're talking about those next levels and those next levels in the organization, you know, often mean uh, changing what we do today to, to meet the expectations of the next, the next, whatever the next level is going to bring us and being prepared for that. How, what does it mean and how does an organization begin to think strategically that way rather than just, you know, that operational mindset that we get sucked into just maintaining what we've got. Right. This is the game I love to play. I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a natural strategist, perhaps. This is the way my brain thinks. I think it's always served me my whole life. Uh, I just, I've always described it as trying to get the best possible results with the minimum effort, <laughs> right? Perhaps I'm just fundamentally yeah. lazy, right? Um, yeah. um, I always found, you know, when I was at school or at university, I, you know, I got a, 
first at Oxford. I didn't feel I worked that hard. I did work hard, but it was all about strategy. You know, it was like, what are the key things I have to work on to do what's necessary? And then that's, that's played out in my career. You know, I've had lows as well as highs, obviously, like everybody else. But I found that um, that really being strategic, for me, strategy is a lens. It, it focuses in like a laser. Uh, and the, op- the opposite of a strategy is a smatergy, I call it. <laughs> it's where you smatter things on the wall. You just throw things out there and you have a billion priorities and a brilliant focus areas. And so you lose sight of the big picture. Everything feels important and you get overwhelmed. And so... One thing I work with in my individual clients, CEOs or other high-level leaders, you know, is around, well, what are the key things they need to be focusing on? But then also at the leadership team level, obviously together are really driving businesses forward. There are conversations that they need to be having to really move out of the incremental and really think about where do we really want to get to and what's going to be the real couple of key things that cut through the noise and help us move forward. So what we're, I think it was, I think it's Warren Buffett that said most successful people he knows say, he knows say no to almost everything. And, and they, they really stay focused. And I think that's what you're talking about with the smatergy. I like that. That's uh it's probably a, uh, a little bit more UK than I made up the word. It's just my word. Um, well, I think that's Robin Buffett. I don't know whether it's a true story or not. It's a story I heard and it was attributed to him and his helicopter pilot. And I don't know if it's true, but he, or his private jet pilot. And, um, the story was that they were, they were, um, he was speaking to his pilot and he realized you've been working for me for a long time. And I'm not sure I've been serving you that well because, um, you're still doing the same thing as you were doing 10 years ago. So perhaps I should be helping you. And what would you love to achieve in life? Um, you know, would you like some help on that? And the guy was like, yeah, absolutely from you. I'd love to get the input. So he said, okay, well, come back in a, come back in a, a week with a list of 25 things that you most want to accomplish and do in your life. So the guy said, no problem. Comes back, list of 25 things. Um, and he says, okay, now go away and circle the top five of those. So he comes away next week, he comes back and he said, oh yeah, I've got my list of five. It's great. So now you know what your top five are. What are you going to do with the other 20 on that list? And the guy looks at the list and says, well, you know, I suppose I'll kind of try to fit them in, you know, around as and when I can, right? As and when the other five let me. And he says, no, no, no. Those 20 there, they've just become your avoid at all costs list. Because those 20 things there are the things that are going to distract you and dilute you and stop you achieving the other five. I don't know whether it's actually true about Warren Buffett, but it's a great story, and I think it lands nicely. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing too many things, a little bit of a lot of things, nothing is going to jump forward very well. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're, so when we're talking about our businesses and we want to move out into a more strategic mindset, out of that operational day-to-day, I mean, because a lot of companies and a lot of my clients – I'm sure a lot of yours, when you first start working with them, are are paying executives a lot of money to do busy work. Yeah. And instead of thinking the big picture and, and moving those big rocks, to use Stephen Covey's uh, yeah. analogy. So how do you how do you transition a leadership team from operational, task oriented to thinking strategically? 
Let me tell you, there's, a, there's two levels to work on this, right? There's the individual and there's the team. I think the team's an interesting one. You just asked me about the team. But let me just jump for a second to the individual because there's a good story here. Because obviously, individually, the question is as well, are we able to focus on, on the most strategic things, right? Are we focusing on the high-impact tasks? And I was working with a chief human resources officer, okay, um, had just been promoted to the C-suite and, he, and I was working with him to help him kind of up-level his, his impact as an executive, as a C-suite exec. And um, he came to me one for one session and he said, Richard, I need to get out my email. I think I'm spending too much time in my, in, in my inbox. And um, can I get some tips, please? Well, I always get a bit concerned when people ask me for tips. I'm not sure that's normally what they need. They're, these are clever people. They don't need a tip. But I, I kind of probed a bit and I said, well, what's, you know, what's going on here? Because you know, I know you've got, and he says, well, you know, Richard, you know, I've got these exciting projects, um, these transformational initiatives I'm trying to roll out, you know, new HR systems, new employee enablement systems across the company at a global level, across multiple markets. We've never done this kind of thing before. It's really transformational. But I'm still getting caught in all my emails because I've got to kind of reply to all these people and keep a lot of balls moving. And so I said, well, what's driving you to do that? And, and we discussed for a while. And he said, eventually, he got to the conclusion that, well, it was basically because I don't want to be, I want to be a good team play, player. I want to be trustworthy and reliable. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to be the kind of guy that you have to remind and hassle. I want to be a good team player. So I said, okay, well, your CEO, what does he want from you right now? Oh, I'm a CEO. I guess he wants, um, well, he wants me to deliver on these big transformational projects for sure. Great. And what about the shareholders? Oh, well, yeah, the same thing because it's going to make a big difference to our bottom line. And what about the uh, customers? Oh, well, yeah, because if the employees get to stop doing all this busy work, they can focus on serving customers. So I guess the customers would like it too if they knew about it. And what about the team themselves? Oh, yeah, well, the employees are desperate to modernize that the way we work. Okay, so what you're telling me is that actually everybody wants you to do these big transformational projects. In fact, it's why you're being paid the big bucks. But when you're doing your email, I want to put it to you that you're not actually being trustworthy and reliable on a team player. You're being, an, you're being untrustworthy and unreliable in that moment because you're taking your attention away from your greatest contribution. And in that moment, the insight happened, right? I didn't need to teach him about how to use his Gmail filters or set up rules to automate his email, right? He'd already got the shift, which was, oh, yeah, I'm an exec and I've got these big projects and I can't be at everyone's beck and call. And, and things started to shift for him. So I just wanted to raise it because before we get into team transformation, there is this level of personal transformation, Right. If we're already individually overwhelmed and have no sense of what we're trying to achieve and our impact, it's going to be very hard for a team to come together and create a sense of focus as well. Yeah. And I think we, a lot of us, and I certainly fall into the trap of letting my inbox be my to-do list. And, uh, and, you know, it's, you know, it's, easier to slide into that than to think about what are the two or three most important things I should get done today and, and ignore all the, and you know, it's, it's inboxes are almost like social media, right? We get an immediate response. Uh, you know, I, I can send an email, I get a response. I'm waiting for that response and, uh, and it's a good job or thank you or whatever. That's immediate feedback. And, and it's, uh, I think it's David Maester that talks about, the reason we can't execute long term is often because we're so focused on not giving up the short term 
pleasures or suffering the short-term pain to right. get that really long-term goal. Yeah. So I, yeah, I can see how inboxes or just the, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people like to have those check, check tasks off a list yeah. and that, nothing feels greater than saying, I got these things done today, but they, if they're not the right things uh, right. and maybe they're just two or three rather than 10, yeah. then maybe we're focused on the wrong. So, so yeah. the, there's a whole area there that we could talk about, but I want to just set it up as, as, as a phrase, which is already sure. there's that personal question. How do how am I dealing with my own overwhelm? I like to say we live in a world of infinity. We're managing infinity. As you said, the more emails you send, the more come back in. It never stops. You've got infinite books to read, films to watch, people to network with. It's infinite these days. Therefore, we have to strategize and get focused. So then we get our, our team together. So let's say we've got all the leaders and they're each working on their own space so, and you know the space between their ears and uh, trying to get, get straight there. How do we make it the, the leadership team strategic? So four conversations I want to suggest uh, in this moment. I think there's four conversations which every leadership team needs to have uh, if it wants to really focus in on what it wants to create in, uh, for, uh, for its future. Um, and these are ones that I use. I'll often use it, um, yeah, with brand new teams when people are forming a team, but also a team where they've kind of been together for a while and they're perhaps in the incremental. Okay, and I think it's a four powerful questions. So the first one is, is who's counting on us and for what? Who's counting on us and for what? So this is interesting because most people, when they do a team session, they go, okay, we need to do our Myers-Briggs profiles. We need to like, you know, get in a room and, and like talk about how we're doing and what the problems are. And I like to kind of get out of the team to start with, to say the team is there to serve an external need, right? It's to serve other people, actually. And so what are the stakeholders who have an interest? Who else would love to be in the room with you right now, telling you as a leadership team what their expectations and requirements and hopes and needs are. So um, what this does, I call it the, it's the commission. I call it the commission. It's, it's the, what is, what is this team being commissioned to do? Like it or not, you might not agree with the commission. You might not even want to accept it, but people have certain expectations. They're probably conflicting. They're probably unre unrealistic when you take them all together, but it's important to understand Who's counting on us? You know, if our shareholders are in the room, what would they be asking us? Or you know, if um, if our employees, was, you know, or our team members were to walk in, what would they be counting on us for or asking us for now, but also in the future? What, what's going to be different in two years? How are their needs going to change? What about customers? If customers could have a seat at the table, what would they be asking us now and, and also in two years' time? Uh, perhaps suppliers, regulators, the government. You could even personify the planet. Say, if the planet was literally able to walk in and talk about, you know, what we're doing to the planet as a business, what would it be asking? And so, what you start to do is you create an understanding of really what's this leadership team uniquely there to do. And like, if this team didn't even meet, come together, do anything together. And we just continue to work in our silos in the leadership team, for example, and do things. But anyone ever notice, you know, is the business succeeding because of us or despite us? What are we there to actually add that all these stakeholders couldn't get from anyone else? So this is the first question, I think. Who's counting on us and for what? And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 
If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. And that's business credit for SPHRs. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 31 and enter the keyword MEDCALF. That's M-E-D-C-A-L-F. On February 10th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Legal and Practical Background Check Considerations. This is my Background Checks 101 webinar, but participants inevitably come away with a better understanding of the background check process. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after February 10th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Richard Medcalf. So that's a lot of what uh, Raj Sisodia and John Mackey's work around conscious capitalism, uh, you know, focusing on those, those, I think they've got it broken out into seven stakeholders out, you know, customers, employees, uh, shareholders, uh, the broader community, regulators, suppliers and vendor partnerships, and one other. <laughs> and uh, I, I doubt uh, John Mackey or Raj Sisodia is watching my podcast, but just in case, sorry, I can't remember the seventh one. But they're, uh, but they're, but they really talk a lot about how we need to plan our businesses around all those stakeholders. And I think we've seen a lot of failures, short-term success and long-term failures, because employers uh, and businesses have focused on one or two of those stakeholders and not thought about the broader picture. And then the the landscape changes and they're caught flat-footed. So let's move on to the next question, shall we? So that first one is around stakeholders. Uh, the second one is, second question is, what would we love to create inside and outside? So this is really now speaking to what is the team? What's the energy in the team? And what you're trying to get to is, what is the kind of goal? Uh, what's the visual thing that you can all imagine in the next, say, two or three years that gets you really excited? You're trying to create energy. Um, so you've heard what the stakeholders have said. But at some stage, you have to appropriate it and take it in and go, you know, together, we can't meet all these expectations or we're going to have to find an, a line that navigates between the different conflicting uh, ideas. But what, what would we love to create? Oh, you know, we'd love to absolutely create this, you know, achieve this goal, create this culture in our team, be known for this. It's not the moment just to understand how you're going to get there, but you're trying to get the energy. You're trying to actually get everybody aligned to say, you know, if we could do this, We'd stand back in two or three years and we'd be really proud. And the way I like, like to push people to answer that question is imagine that me or somebody else was to literally break into your office, you know, or stalk your office with a video camera and record things. What would I see? What could I observe? If I was to hack into your IT system, what would I find? What data would I find? Um, what emails would I find? You know, what, what could I observe that would help me know whether you've been able to achieve what you've wanted to achieve. So in other words, it's easy to get conceptual when I ask this kind of question. What would you love to create? Oh, well, I'd love everyone to really be, I'd love to have a company where everyone's, you know, collaborating. 
Okay, well, what do we actually mean by that? Well, you know, and push it. Well, specifically, I, you know, I love, I can just really imagine that in a couple of years' time, you know, people are walking, you know, departments are walking up and down the stairs, going to see each other, whiteboarding things in a way that they aren't doing right now. You know, I'd love to, the, you know, our revenues have gone up by 10x. Um, you know, we've onboarded th- three of the world's top 20 companies as customers. You know, we start to kind of create this really visual representation. Uh, because as it starts to become crystal clear in people's minds, then you get the energy raising and there's there's some fuel there for the journey ahead. But without that fuel, without that motivating vision for what the team wants to create, it's very hard to proceed. And the last thing to say is it's about inside and outside. So outside is all the external outcomes, but inside is how do we want to show up as a team? What's the dynamic we want to create amongst the six of us or eight of us or 10 of us? What kind of team do we want to be part of? And so you're talking really, I uh, think, about mission, vision, values, right? Uh, the kind of behavior we're going to incentivize internally, uh, how we work together, those kind of things are typically what we consider values or, and culture. But then mission or vision, that bigger picture about who we serve, how we serve them, what our impact on the world will be. Uh, is that is that along the right lines, or am I still thinking two 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 nineteen nineties for for what you're talking about? <laughs> so, so you're right, but what I'm trying to t- tap into here is this sense of enthusiasm and energy, because it's easy to kind of go, yeah, well, you know, we should hit these goals. We should, you know, we know we've got to do this. Yeah, these are some, you know, we, these are some values like we need to be excellent and have fun and customer service and, we, we you know, we rattle out the same old, same old. What I'm really, fo- what I'm keen on here is what do we love to create? What would be awesome? What would be like, hell yes, right? What, what gets our excitement levels going? Because without that, it's just like another exercise where there's no real commitment. I heard an entrepreneur speak not long ago about that, saying when he, whenever he starts a company, he says, in five years, when I walk through this organization, I want to be able to describe now exactly what it'll feel like to walk through mm. that organization. There will be this, you know, you know, this many p- employees and they'll be doing this kind of work. And I'll walk up and I'll talk to a customer who talks about how we've changed their business or their lives. And, uh, and we will, you know, our customer service people will be, uh, brilliant to work with and people will, uh, you know, you know, they, they will be problem solvers for our clients. They won't, you know, be order takers, those kinds of things. It talks about, and, he, and that's how he, he sells that vision to shareholders and, and investors, but also to his execs leadership team that he's bringing in when he starts a company. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that's, exci- that's exciting, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so we, we figure out what we want to create and what, you know, and, and maybe we're, that, that requires a lot of change internally, or maybe we're starting from scratch and we have the, the liberty to think really very blue sky. What's the next step in, or what's the next question we should ask ourselves? Yes, the next one is, what's the stretch to move beyond our default future into our preferred future? And so what's the stretch is how I kind of summarize it. What's the stretch? So in other words, we all have a default future. You know, we're all professionals around the table. We work in a certain way. It's not bad. We wouldn't be at this level if it was terrible, probably. Occasionally, it can be bad, but let's say it's, it's okay. It's reasonable, right? We're, we've got a good default future. But what's the stretch that's going to take us into our preferred future? So what are the very specific behaviors that are a stretch for us? They're not something which come naturally, but we know we need to get better at uh, together 
if we're going to become the team capable of delivering on this thing that we've just ex- described, this vision that we'd love to create? You know, what's the shift? And what this does is this question, this idea of the stretch really focuses in on, well, we can't do everything, but like what are the, really focusing in on what are the, perhaps the, in the next six months or the next quarter, what's the one thing that we really want to put our attention on? Because behaviors, we're all in our tram lines on our behaviors. We can't break out of a million things at once. But perhaps if as a team we go, you know, the one thing we need to get much better at is you know, whatever it is, like, is listening to each other. This can be as simple as that. Or one thing we need to get better at is not wearing our functional hats so much, but more talking about the cross-functional issues facing the business. Or the one thing we need to get much better at is not defending our own teams, but actually thinking more expansively about our stakeholder needs. Again, I'm making it up. Every team's going to be different. But trying to find what's that one stretch that we really want to keep our focus on over the next few weeks or months. So these are uh, mindset stretches, really. They're, you're not talking about to get where we want to go, we need to increase revenue 25%. No, no that's right. It's, it's not a stretch goal, the, no. The it's a behavioral okay. stretch, I suppose I would say. It's, Interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what's the learning edge. What do we need to learn as a team? How do we need to learn to work together a bit differently that's going to be a bit uncomfortable for us, right? What's going to be the discomfort, I guess, is another way of putting it. How, we, how do we need to get a bit out of our comfort zone in order to become the kind of team who is going to create this exponential future? So if our organization has missed our goals in the past with some regular regularity and without a lot of accountability, maybe accountability is it. Maybe it's that the rest of the senior team needs to hold the CEO accountable at a level that they've not necessarily been comfortable with, or maybe the CEO hasn't invited them to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, to be held, to hold him accountable, things like yeah. that. Yeah. So it could be, you know, there's a thing in our team that when people don't follow through on their promises, we kind of don't really discuss it and we move on. We need, and so our stretch is actually creating a culture where we make fewer promises, but when we make them, we move heaven and earth to achieve them and if we realize it was really over promised we let we 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 raise our hands as early as possible and we replan before we hit the deadline we don't just overshoot deadlines without talking about it for example you create that as a as a focus area and then that's something you can come back to in every single team meeting because you've only got one of them at this point one stretch so you can come back and say how are we doing on this and what do we need to do in this meeting to live out this this stretch that we're engaging on. Oh, that's great. And so are these typically quarterly, annually, or how do you, what's the time period that we give ourselves to really focus, to focus on, on a stretch like that and to, you know, improve and achieve to a point that we can safely move on to the next thing that we need to work on? I kind of don't often put a time frame on it. I think I focus on the one thing and then we check in, you know, every every perhaps every month, you know, in our, in our, in our team meeting or, or we, we, we put something to check in in a, in a quarter or whatever we think. For me, it's more the continuous focus on it. And at some point, you can go, oh, I think we're pretty much there on this. We've built this in. And then we can have a new conversation. What's the next uh, stretch? And see, many teams have a certain rhythm. They have quarterly offsites or they have a biannual or they have an annual meeting. Those can be great moments to revise that. But you might choose a really simple well, simple. You might choose a, a stretch which actually you manage to achieve very quickly, in which case 
you can perhaps pause and think, well, what's the next thing? If we were to focus on one new behavior, what's that? So I don't put a very hard time frame on these things. And this is definitely uh, a behavior that's not wouldn't be confined just to the C-suite, right? I could see an HR, you've mentioned an HR VP earlier. I could see, I could see a CHRO just doing that inside their own Absolutely. organization, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And you can do it finance, accounting. You can work on any operation. leadership. I mean, leadership yeah. team doesn't have to actually be the executive team. It's any team who's trying to exert leadership within an organization. Um, right. And that might be because they've got a, an organization or because they're trying to influence and uh, maximize the efforts of others towards certain goals in the in the business. Wow. So what's the fourth question that the leadership team should be asking? Fourth question is very simple, uh, which is what's the rallying cry? What's the rallying cry? And the rallying cry, it's just like, what is really important right now in this quarter, for example? So what's the one thing where we need to be putting our attention? So you've got the stretch, which is like how we're doing it. But the rallying cry is really what we're doing, right? What's the number one thing? And so the way I like to look at this is if we achieve one thing in the next probably quarter, it's a pretty good place to start. One thing in the next quarter that's going to um, take us the first, you know, make everything else easier on this on this journey that we've set, we've got. What's that one thing? And so, uh, the rallying the rallying cry is, is like the number one governing priority. If this team achieves just one thing, what's it going to be? It's quite hard to put it down to one, um, but that discussion of really going, if we could only do one thing, what would it be? Um, is a really important one. And this is where we get down, I think, more to achieving those goals. I mean, these are these are more objective based things. Is that right? Yeah. These are we, you know, we've got to implement this new customer relationship management right. software, yeah. and we or or this, you know, or, or or select our enterprise software or whatever yeah. it is. Make those 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 tactical things that move us towards those bigger goals. Yeah, that's right. And normally, I say there's operational stuff which is going to happen anyway. So you know, you know that you've got to hit your sales target for the year or whatever other things are going on. That's probably kind of almost the default thing that's going to happen, like it or not, almost, or, you know, you're going to hit it or not hit it, but it's focused. But the rallying cry is like, what's, again, what do we need to create as a team this uh, this quarter? What's the incremental capability? What's the improvement project? What's the thing that we want to build that's going to make everything else easier in the future? So it might be a new product. It might be deploying a new IT system. It might be, uh, it might be um, developing new relationships. It might be achieving a certain milestone uh, on a project. But what is it? It's, it's the one thing which if we do that, we know we've really moved past the hamster wheel you know we, we've 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 taken a level up in our ability to deliver things as an organization so we've got those four questions um who's counting on us and what do they want from us um what do we want to create what get what brings energy to us about the idea of creating uh both inside the organization and outside and we talk about those stretch behaviors to get where we want to go and then the rallying cry, the, the the thing we're going to do now that's going to move us significantly forward in the next quarter or whatever. How often do we revisit these four questions as a leadership team? Uh, well, every leadership team needs to find a rhythm. And I say it's great to separate strategy from execution, right? So there's meetings where we're talking about what and meetings where we're talking about how. 
um, how we're doing it. So um, I suppose when I work with a team, often we have these conversations at the start, and then I would tend to say, well, if we're setting in, locking in for like a one or two year goal, one or two year vision of where we want to get to, then it's a question of saying, well, what are the natural milestones on that journey? We probably want to have a midpoint review. If it's two, I mean, probably every six months, you probably want to be checking in to say, are we on track or not with these kind of things? You know, are we are we getting there? So I love to say these kind of projects want to have a bit of a beginning, a middle, and an end. In other words, if you sit down one day and come up with what would we love to achieve in two years, then like let's actually remember at the end of two years to say, well, how far did we get? You might not have achieved it all. You might be very ambitious, but celebrate the progress, learn from it, and you can reset at that point. But I think the danger is otherwise you create this endless treadmill where there's never any closure because you're always just pushing yourself, always pushing yourself. So I would say it's good to check in probably on this uh, at a macro level every six months. And I guess that would vary according to the size of those rallying cry projects too. Yeah. Is this a three month project or a six month project? If it's a six month project, we'll check in and see how, you know, I think that, yeah. operationally on how we're making there. But when we knock out that six month project, that's the time to sit down and say, okay, what's our next big step? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say in terms of the rallying cry, I'd actually even say that the review cycle was probably uh, faster because these are deliverables and things. So I'd probably say on the rallying cry, it's every, it's probably one to three months. Um, depending okay. on what you're trying to do and how fast the business is changing. Uh, but if you were to say, by the end of three months, we want our new system, IT system implemented, or we at least need the proof of concept done, or in the next month, you know, we need to engage with all our stakeholders to explain where we're going over the next year or whatever it is. So I think the rallying cry is probably a little bit um, shorter in focus. Well, we're almost out of time. Any last thoughts on this overall process that, that our audience should think about? Um, no, I think we've covered a lot. I mean, again, there is always the team level and the individual level. And I think, you know, together, these are really fascinating. But the, the key I would uh, really focus in on is maximize contribution. You know, often we actually live in terms of fear, like are we setting goals that are too big? Or are we doing what we feel people are asking, you know, feel we ought to do? Um, or are we trying to people please? Um, but actually, when we think about what's the maximum contribution we would love to make, I think then we get to this place of service and, and then we're unstoppable when we, when we really get into that frame of mind. That's great. Yeah, that's a great way to end this. We are out of time, but uh, I think we've definitely maximized our contribution in the last 30 minutes. So thank you, Richard, for joining me on the Good Morning HR podcast. You're welcome. And Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative Premium Background Checks with fast and friendly service. Thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at Good Morning HR or Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Good Morning HR is produced by Rob Upchurch and sponsored by Imperative. I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.